If you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're actually going to start at the end of 12 and look at a couple of things. And while you're turning there, again, if you need a copy of the Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get it to you. Um, I do want to just make a mention real quick. I don't want to draw a lot of attention or any of that, but I am uh, just have a very, um, just very grateful today. It was five years ago, the first Sunday of June, that I preached my first sermon here. And so I'm very thankful. Yeah. And you guys, it was really hard for us to leave the church we came from uh, because we were uh, just very tied in. We had planted that church from nothing and seen God do a lot of amazing things and uh, had every had every inkling on our on our calendars that we were going to die there. And God said no. So... Um, just grateful for for he knows what he's doing, and we couldn't have asked for a better uh, family of believers in Christ to be a part of. So we're doing a sermon series called "The Gifts in the Body." We've only got four more sermons left. This one, three more, and we'll be done. <laughs> we will be. We've already planned it out. I have to hold to it. Emily's already planned music for the for the next month. So. There is nothing in my understanding that is more important for the church of Jesus Christ today than to understand, cultivate, and use their spiritual gifts. Here's the reason why. Number one, God gave them to us. Jesus died to secure them for us. They are a blessing that is on top of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and justification and all these wonderful things. Number two, it is integral to how you grow in Christ. You cannot grow in your relationship with Christ if you are unknowing of your spiritual gift. If he has taken the time to put the Holy Spirit in us, and remember, this is a reason why this dispensation is different from any other. In times past, the Holy Spirit was on people and could be removed from people. But the idea of the Holy Spirit being within people is a completely different way that God is working with people. And in doing so, he gave grace gifts, spiritual gifts. Now, I know this is a redundancy, but by the time we're done with this series, hopefully you'll get this and grasp it. The adage is, by the time you're sick of saying it, people are just now starting to get it. Spiritual gifts have to be exercised spiritually. They cannot be done in the flesh. They cannot be done the way I think they ought to look. How I think you ought to be. This is not a dictatorship. This is not a situation where, well, I'll just wait for somebody else to tell me what this needs to look like. This is the reason why we've taken so much time in the Word of God, and we have spent at least 11 Sundays going through the 11 gifts that are valid for today, so that we would have a thorough, robust understanding of what this is. It's just how important it is. Folks, if we're not operating spiritually with one another, what are we doing? Now, there's an answer to that, P-R-I-D-E. Just because it's Pride Month doesn't mean the church has to participate, okay? The church cannot afford to be prideful in our assembly, in our interaction with one another. Spiritual gifts are God's way of how we effectively minister His work within the body of one another. 
So understanding what spiritual gifts are, knowing what your spiritual gift is, and utilizing that in the body is of the greatest importance. Now, again, if you're somebody who has gone through the booklet that we've put together, we have a booklet and an answer sheet back here in the corner on this little desk back there. If you haven't gone through this, I encourage you grab some. If there's some intimidation or some misunderstanding about exactly how to do it, come talk to me. And I will sit down and I will personally walk you through it to make sure it happens. I've met with a few people over the past couple of weeks that I've been able to do that with. If you do know your spiritual gift, but we don't have it yet, we would like to know what it is. And we're not asking you to turn your answers because you might be embarrassed. Again, we're not all givers, okay? Not everybody has a spiritual gift of giving. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a way that God blessed you and wired you and gave you the spirit in order to evoke other things that build up the body. But if you could fill this out, which is inside of your bulletin, put your name, the top two scores that you had for the gift, Again, the test is not foolproof by any means, but it does give a good running start and gets people going on it. We have a team that we've put together for spiritual gifts that we're going to start implementing that and seeing how we can get everybody involved in serving in the church. There is not one person who has the spiritual gift of sloth, okay? It doesn't exist. God called me to sit and do nothing. No, he didn't. Every member of the body is a minister in the church and a missionary to the world, period. All of us. Discipleship evangelism, every time. Some things we want to look at to make sure that we get our bearings here. We need to go back to chapter 12 and look at the very last verse, verse 31. In chapter 12, verse 31, Paul is bringing up the importance of diversity of gifts. If you remember, Corinth, the church in Corinth, suffered because they all wanted to speak in tongues. They thought it was the coolest thing to do. And the more they spoke in tongues, the more attention that they got heaped upon them, the more the spotlight, the more spiritual that they seemed. And what Paul's saying is it doesn't make you spiritual because you're not handling gifts the way that God said to do it. There should be a diversity of gifts. Not just everybody having the same one and that being the measure of stick of whether or not you're mature in Christ. No, that's not how it works. There's a diversity within the body and we all need one another to be exercising our gifts. And so he goes through and he gives this list. Not all are teachers, are they? And we said, no, not all speak in tongues, do they? No, not all interpret tongues, do they? No, no, we don't. And then he brings this very interesting thing, verse 31. But earnestly desire, the Greek word there is zelao. It's the idea of being zealous for something. Be zealous for the greater gifts, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still a still more excellent way. Now, if you remember, there's a problem there with some of the translation. And it's not that they, the translators got it wrong. They translated it in a way that it can be translated. But the idea of being desirous of greater gifts flies in the face of the Holy Spirit assigning spiritual gifts to every person as he sees fit. If he indwells us, he knows us. And he wants to use our talents and our background and everything that God has allowed to come about in our lives in order to fashion a base plate for our spiritual gifts to be able to launch from and be effective, productive, beneficial, profitable within the church. And so a way that this could be understood of what Paul's trying to get at is you guys just want to be showy all the time. And you're not using gifts in the manner, in the demeanor that they ought to be used. You need to understand a more excellent way. If you've got somebody who is all about putting the spotlight on themselves, you know one thing, they're not operating in love. 
Anytime that somebody wants to exercise their will and force it in a situation or to sit here and be adamant about their opinion when it flies in the face of the word of God, they're not operating in love. Paul is saying, you guys have been on the showboat long enough. It is time to take a step back and ask if your attitude is correct in moving forward. And so the most excellent way is, what is it, church? Do we know? One person knows. Florence said love. Connie says love. All the rest of y'all need to go back to chapter 13. Love. If gifts are not exercised in love, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It accomplishes nothing. It means nothing. Because if it's not love, that doesn't mean that it's exercised in hate. That's not what the opposite of love is in the church. The opposite of love in the church is self. That's very important for us to understand. I am on. Okay, great. If you want to know one way to operate your life in a way that displeases God, then you simply make it about you. Isn't this what the Corinthians were doing? You guys know what church you're at, right? You can respond. Yes? Talk to me. I've been away for a week. Don't give me the silent treatment. That's rude. Well, I don't want to talk. Well, that's about you. Do what I want. See how loving I am? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, thank you. Just kidding. Okay. Love. Love is the best way. Now, we're getting ready to step into chapter 14. There's a lot that we're going to cover. Okay? So if I go over a little bit, Chad's fault. Okay? But what we do need to get refreshed on real quick, because Paul is now going to bring up this idea of the tongues issue needs to take its proper place. And there's a way that that needs to happen. And so he gives us some interesting things in 13 that serve as a springboard moving into it. Here's what he says. Love never fails, 13.8, if, if you want to follow along. 13.8, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. That means that later on at a time, God will deal with them and they won't be needed anymore. If there are tongues, they will cease. If everybody remember what that means, does anybody remember from that sermon? It means that they will stop in and of themselves. That's what it means. Then he goes to the idea of knowledge and it will be done away, exact same word as we dealt with in prophecy. Now notice here, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Knowledge and prophesy partially right now in Paul's time it was only partial but when the perfect comes the partial will be done away now we gave all these reasons about ideas of what people think the perfect is but it seems the most reasonable thing to think about is the perfect is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rapture his church and you can go back and listen to that and figure out how we came to that conclusion but we were able to do it solely in the book of first Corinthians oh sorry Yes, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So now we move into 1 Corinthians 14.1. Now notice what he says here. Chapter 14, pursue love. What chapter is that? 13. All of 13 is summed up in one thing. So notice, he's talking about unity of spiritual gifts, but there needs to be diversity in those gifts within the body. It's for the purpose of building one another up. He moves into a situation saying, you got to do it by love or it doesn't matter. It's just about you. And now he wants to... Take that and taper it into more explanation about gifts. The love chapter had to be there. So we know the attitude. Number one, 
Corinthians, Grace Bible Church, pursue love. Go after it. Run headlong. Absolutely. Look what he says. Yet desire earnestly, exact same Greek word, zaleo. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. You say, well, wait a second. Isn't he telling them to be real excited about spiritual gifts? I mean, he's brought it up twice, the end of 12, beginning of 14. We ought to be excited about spiritual gifts. But then he says, if you're going to do spiritual gifts, you need to go after prophecy. You say, wait a second. I thought you said that the Holy Spirit assigned all of our gifts. Why would we need to go after prophecy? Let me ask you a question. What was the dominant gift that everybody was pushing for in Corinth? Tongues. So either you had the gift really from the Spirit or you didn't have the gift, but it didn't change the fact that everybody's going for it. Whether you really have it or don't, everybody was going that direction. So he's going to say, stop for a second. Desire to exercise your spiritual gifts. Why? Because that's just a healthy body in Christ that's doing that. But if you want anything to be preeminent, to have top tier, on all of this. Prophecy should be the number one gift that's going on. Now, I know that sounds very self-serving because today we would call that gift preaching. This is what you got. <laughs> Sorry about it, right? But it should be top dog. Why is that? Now, that sounds strange. Paul's going to give us a reason explanation. Please follow along with me. Real quick, let me ask a question. Let's, let's pause for a second. Time out. When I mark on this and it shows up up there, does that help you or freak you out? Helps, helps. Help, thumb, okay, good. I changed the color just so it didn't mess anybody up. Just making sure. So if I go to that, I want to make sure it does. Okay, so here we go. Four. Everybody see verse two? Four. What is that? Causal conjunction. Let me explain what I mean by what I just said. For one who speaks in a tongue, mark it, does not speak to men, but to God. Uh-oh. One of your most important pages that you're going to have today, if you listen to what I asked you to do a few weeks ago, is open up the front of your Bible and pull out this little notes pad that says, things I learned about tongues, okay? So we can begin writing down things that we learned. Now, if you happen to have missed what I said about that a few times, or just blatantly disobedient, okay? Um, you can look in your bulletin, you can pull that out. And you can start making a list right now. And let me give you what we have so far. Number one, from chapter 12, verses 15 through 20, not everybody's going to have the gift of tongues. Not everybody's going to have it. Paul's very clear in chapter 12. In chapter 13, we find out that one day, tongues will cease in and of themselves. Those are the two things that we've seen so far, okay? That really address this. But now we're really going to start hitting the differences between tongues and preaching. Tongues and preaching. Notice what it says. The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. That's the very first thing you need to understand. Tongues is about speaking to God. Now, he's going to give us some parameters on this that flesh this out a little bit more for us so that we have a full understanding. But look what he says after that. For, here's an explanation, no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. No one understands. If you've got someone who is speaking in a tongue, no one can understand them. Those are Paul's words, not mine. Why? Because they're speaking in mysteries, and only God knows what that is. Now, uh, let me see here. If you would just look real quick, I don't have it in my PowerPoint, okay? But if you were just to look back at chapter 13, verse 2, for just a second, and it says, if I have the gift of prophecy, preaching, okay, we saw that in chapter 12, and know all, what's that? 
mysteries. Notice that mysteries is connected to speaking in tongues in some way. And that means something that's just previously not known. That's what that word means, mysterion, okay? So notice he says here, going back to chapter uh, 14, verse 2, you end up speaking mysteries. That's the problem. When tongues are taking place in the assembly of believers, nobody knows what's going on. How do you tell if somebody really has the gift and therefore it needs to be paid attention to and it needs to edify the body? Or how do you know that somebody's just looking to edify themselves by everybody going, woo, they're so spiritual, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Is that how we want to be in the church? I don't think so. Paul warns it. Verse 3, but one who prophesies. And the idea there is preaching. It's not always foretelling the future kind of thing, like a brand new revelation from God. That's not what we're dealing with in this situation. It is speaking forward what God has revealed. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for three things. Look what it says. Edification and exhortation and consolation. That's how you end up with a good congregation. Everybody see what I did there? Yeah, I worked hard on that, by the way, just real quick. What preaching does that tongues cannot do? We need to understand what these words are. So I pulled out a Greek lexicon. I want to give you some definitions. Edification. Literally, the word means the process of building something or construction. You might say they've erected an edifice out in that field. Okay, that's where we get that word from is the idea of putting something together and building it. But if you want to talk about how Paul's using it here, figuratively speaking, spiritual strengthening, edifying, edification, or building one another up. Prophecy, preaching, does something that tongues can't. When tongues is not understandable, preaching should be building up and constructing something amongst the body of Christ. The second one is exhortation, an act of emboldening another in belief or a course of action. Or we might say it this way, it's an encouragement. Here's what God can do. Here's what God has done. Here's who God is, and that's just where we need to come back to and get our minds and hearts straight. It should be encouraging us in a righteous direction. The last one here, consolation. That which serves as encouragement to one who is depressed or in grief. I don't know if you'll remember this, but one of the things we talked about that preaching tries to encourage and accomplish is the idea of not just discipleship for the church. Preaching is not an evangelistic sign or evangelistic gift. That's really important to understand. Can can people who are not believers come to church? Absolutely they can. But I'm not going to sit here and expect them to understand everything we do. And we're not going to water down the message of the word of God and talk about, not talk about sin and not talk about hell and not talk about the cross or the lake of fire or any of that for the sake of visitors who might be here. They need to hear the truth, not be protected from it. That's insane. So you can't handle the body of Christ that way. Preaching is not a gift that is to be exercised for the sake of, of unbelievers but it should issue forward conviction and soul care for the believers that are here and should be building them up this is one of the reasons why we don't do altar calls every sunday i'm just going to go ahead and assume that you're already saved because you're here he's like was that a safe assumption i'll tell you this somebody walking to the forward and kneeling down right here isn't going to make them more saved if they decided to get up and come forward to let me know about their salvation it happened back there not up here it doesn't have to be a show And it's not a show. And I had to get over years ago, and it was painful, about the idea of numbers and getting my ego stroked about if anybody came up at all. If that's the case, Cheryl's fingers are going to fall off because we're going to play just as I am 493 times until somebody finally goes, 
we got to end this church service. I'm going to get up there, right? Silly, silly. You might tell I got it in for the Baptists a little bit. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on here. I got other Baptist jokes later. We're good. So those are the three things it needs to accomplish. That's what preaching can do. Tongues cannot. Okay? Look at verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Does that bring a red flag to anybody? Does it? If you'll if you remember, if you want to write there on the side, or you want to look back real quick with me, look back at chapter 12, verse 7. Look what it says. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's the common good? The church. Y'all, exactly. Thank you, Jim. It's y'all and all y'all. All y'all need to be built up by spiritual gifts. Me exercising mine, you exercising yours. I benefit, you benefit. We both profit. We grow up to be sound in the Lord. Man, we all start maturing like crazy. It's awesome. But the problem with speaking in tongues in the assembly of believers is it doesn't connect. It might build the person up. Why? Because you look cool. Other than that, it doesn't do anything. So look in verse 4 again. The one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies what? Isn't that Paul's goal? This is Paul's goal in this entire part from verse 1 to verse 19, edifying the church. How do we edify one another maximally? And this is the reason why preaching takes center stage in a worship gathering of this type with all the assembly of the saints here. We need to be encouraged to at the very least be thinking according to the word of God so that we will keep away from error. I want to recommend a book real quick, if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't mind grabbing a copy of it. Uh, Elders, you've already got a copy. It's here. (laughs) More reading for you guys. It's not very thick, okay? It's called Biblical Literacy, and it's by a guy named Corey Marsh, C-O-R-Y-M-A-R-S-H, Corey Marsh. I encourage you to get a copy of it. It's like 12 bucks. You can get on Amazon. They'll have it to you in two days. It's an excellent little book on why everyone in the church needs to be reading and studying their Bibles every day. It's fantastic, and it's not very long. It's 80 pages. So I encourage you, pick it up. It's got a lot of really good helps and links to resources. An excellent, excellent book. Verse 5. Now, watch what he says here. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Is Paul discouraging the speaking in tongues? No. The problem is, is how they're doing it. Paul says it would be great if you all of you had that gift, but look what he says here. But even more, that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. It's better to hear preaching than to hear tongues. Paul's words, not mine. Now notice he puts a little caveat at the end of it. Here's what he says. Unless he interprets... Now, why would that be important? If you remember back in chapter 12, wasn't the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues always paired together by Paul? Didn't he bring that up? Yes. Okay, for those of you who don't know, he did. He did that, okay? Making sure everybody knows. He did that. I'm, I'm leading you here. Okay, just making sure. In doing that, notice what he's bringing up here. You have to interpret. He gives you the reason. Everybody see, so that? So that is the reason. So that the church may receive what? Isn't that the point? The point is, is that when the assembly of God's people are gathering together on a special day that commemorates the resurrection of their Lord, a week, there should be edification that's going on on all fronts. Not just up here. 
out here. I'm just curious. I'm just going to go with this a little bit. What do you talk about when you see each other, when you get here? You don't have to tell me out loud. This is a time when you don't have to answer. But what do you talk about? What's the substance of your conversation? And is the substance of your conversation what God is doing in your life Monday through Saturday? See, that's fellowship. That's what fellowship in the church looks like. It's having God and his word and his savior at the center of life and conversation. That should be happening all the time. That's how edification happens in the church. It's not just me up here. It's all y'all with one another. And don't forget me, okay? Me too. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, notice what he says, what will I profit you? How will you benefit if Paul speaks in tongues? Now, real quick, did Paul speak in tongues? Yeah, he did. As an apostle, he actually was endowed with many spiritual gifts that he was able to use. But I think it's because of the fact that he was one of the apostles and called to be an apostle to the Gentiles that he was given those in order to authenticate his message to the Gentile people. Notice, what will I profit you, even one with the tongues, he has tongues, unless, here's the caveat here, I speak to you either by way of revelation, so in this time there wasn't a completed New Testament, he's got something that the Lord's revealed to him that he needs to communicate to the body, that's going to be beneficial. Or of knowledge, the spiritual gift of knowledge. We saw that back in chapter 13 and 12. So he's got that that he wants to share with them. Or prophecy, preaching. That's a spiritual gift from chapter 13 as well that he does. Or of teaching. There's another spiritual gift, but it actually finds itself at the end of chapter 12. What's he saying here? I could come and speak to you in a tongue, but you're not going to be able to understand anything I'm saying. But if I do it through revelation, knowledge, preaching, or teaching, you will understand exactly what I'm saying. And therefore, the entire church can benefit from very plain speaking of sound doctrine. This is the, this is the, the dichotomy that he's sitting in front of us here, the verses that's taking place. Now, here's an example. Verse 7. But even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not pr- produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Now, real quick. I've been waiting for this moment to play the piano for all of you. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Is it on, Kurt? Is it on? Real quick, what song is this? Why are you not singing? The mighty fortress is our God. Don't you know that? Everybody want me to do Amazing Grace? Why weren't you singing? How many of you knew what that was? None of you. Why? Because there was no melody to it whatsoever, was there? There was no differentiation of notes. Notice that Paul is likening that to tongues. When somebody in the assembly of the church stands up and they speak in tongues, we don't know what they're saying. They might as well just everybody be speaking monotone. Nobody can benefit from it if you don't have the gift. And notice, it's not if you don't have the gift of tongues, it's if you don't have the gift of interpretation. If nobody can interpret, we're confused. Now, how many of you came to church this morning to be confused? We never could. I can't wait for today. Woo, Lord, it's good. We're going to get confused today. Woo, glory. Is that how we do it? I know all your friends are like, oh, I can't wait to go to your church. Your church is confusing. I've been looking for a confusing church. It's not how it happens. It just doesn't. 
Now, how about this one? Verse 8, he's going to elaborate a little bit on this illustration. He says, for, oh, let me make sure I'm there. Man, I get behind. I get so excited about the text, I forget I'm doing, okay. <laughs> for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, and notice that he's comparing that to what happens when tongues is displayed in the assembly of the body. If it produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? <laughs> If that doesn't make you want to get up and bear arms, I don't know what's going to, right? Just for a second, I love the Second Amendment. I don't care what idiots are saying, okay? I know, political comments aren't good. <laughs> Whatever. You think that would cost some soldiers to get up and go? But what if it was, ah, right? That's when they take their pillow and put it over their ear. There's got to be some sort of, it's got to have meaning. It's got to profit. You've got to know what the call is. And if you don't, it doesn't help anybody. It may be awesome for a moment. It might even cause you to step back and go, okay, wait a second, what in the world is going on here? And you might get inquisitive about it. But as far as affecting you by building up the body of Christ, Paul says it cannot accomplish that. Interesting. Notice he moves on here to verse 9. So also, or in the same way, you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear. Now notice here he uses the word tongue as being the literal organ in your mouth that helps create sound. Okay? Look what he says. If, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? And what's the answer to that? It won't. You won't know what anybody's saying. For, here's the explanation, you will be speaking into the air. Now watch what he says here. This is very interesting. Everybody got your little papers out? Look at verse 10. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. Stop. Paul just did something, and we might not see it clearly. He just equated the fact that when a tongue is exercised, it's an actual authentic language that somebody knows. It's not an angelic language. It's not, a, it's not a spiritual language that is only known in the gates of heaven or anything like that. Tongues is not that. The Bible never calls it that. If you remember from what we looked at in chapter 13, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but a clanging cymbal and a resounding gong. Angels only speak in understandable ways in the scripture. You never see them saying something and John's like, what is he saying? That never happens. It never happens. It's always intelligible and profitable every time. So notice what he's getting at here. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. All of them can be understood in some way, but there's got to be ingredients involved. Verse 11, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. In other words, they got one language going on, they got another. You know what Chad and Kathleen's greatest obstacle is going to be? Getting used to the word eh. Is it not? Are you used to it yet? Yes. In case they want to have some soda. Exactly. Hey, you need an interpreter for that. I don't know. 
Some of you thought that I was speaking in tongues when I first got here because I'm from Kentucky. You wondered, did we hire an interpreter with this guy? I don't know. Moving on. Some of you nodded your heads. You are cruel human beings. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm saying. You're like, yes, you're uh, great. Thank you. I love you all. Moving on. Verse 12. So also, you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, pause. Where have we seen that word zealous said? Verse 1 and chapter 12, verse 31. Everybody see how he's connecting this together as one thought. Since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound, overflow. Fill it on up and let it pour over. In what? What's it say? The edification of the church. If you're going to do your gift, make sure it's building somebody up. If you're going to do your gift, make sure it's encouraging somebody forward. If you're going to do your gift, make sure it's consoling somebody Godward. Distribute it like that. But don't be a show. The church doesn't need a show. The church needs the manifestation of the Spirit. And the only way that that happens is by utilizing God's gifts, God's way from God's Spirit who indwells us to do God's business. That's it. And that's the only way it works. He moves on here, verse 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Everybody got your sheet? Notice what Paul just told you. If you speak in a tongue, you need to pray that you can interpret. You know what that says? It says the person who has the gift of speaking in tongues doesn't know what they're saying when they exercise that gift. Why? They need an interpreter. It'd be different if somebody spoke in tongues and said, I said this. That would edify the church, wouldn't it? Notice they can't do that. So since they can distribute or, or let's, uh, what would we say, exercise the gift of tongues, that doesn't mean they understand it. And notice that it's completely controllable, okay? I know I say this sometimes. I'm not trying to bash on any charismatics at all, but all of us have seen the Blues Brothers movie at some point, okay? Nobody has to be rattling around on the floor like sizzling bacon. That's not how this goes down, okay? Notice it's completely controllable. And notice it's something where it's like, if you're going to speak in a tongue, pray to God that he would give you the opportunity to interpret what you've said. Why? Because the body needs to be edified if it's a manifestation of the Spirit, so pray that you could interpret that. Now, moving on to the next one, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, can you pray in a tongue? You can pray in a tongue. That's what he says right here. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. But wait a second, if, if, if I pray in a tongue, isn't that spiritual? Sure, it's your spirit who's praying. That's why we're talking about spiritual gifts, right? That's where it comes from. But your mind is unfruitful. Does everybody see what he's saying here? Slow down and put that together. You can be praying to God in your spirit in a different language. Your mind benefits nothing. There's nothing edifying or upbuilding that happens here. If you have the gift of tongues, you could very well be praying to God. Guess what? Doesn't help anything else. Doesn't help anything else in the person. Why? Do they know what they're saying in tongues? They don't. The previous verse just told us that. You need to pray that you can interpret. So what we see about the spiritual gift of tongues is when somebody dispenses that gift, they won't know what they're saying. They've got to have an interpreter. And even if they go so far as to praying in tongues, it's controllable, and they still are being unfruitful in themselves because they don't know what they're saying. Everybody with me? 
This thing is going to be full. Okay? There's a lot here. Look where he moves on next. Verse 15. It says here, what is the outcome there? Put it all together for us, Paul. What are we talking about? Here's what he says. I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind. Why? Because the Spirit is involved as a place where God dwells in us in the Holy Spirit. So that's got to be a necessary factor. Spiritual gifts have got to be spiritual, but they've also got to be understandable. It has to be intelligible. It can't just be, I'm freaked out in the Spirit and that's just it. You can't. And it can't just be the idea of, well, my mind knows and it's intellectual exercise. If you do that, you become callous towards the things of God because you're not discerning of the Holy Spirit. So it's got to be both. So if I'm going to pray, my spirit and my mind have got to be involved. And he even pushes it one further. And I'm so thankful that he does. Look what he says after that. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Now let me ask you a question. Does anybody in here have the spiritual gift of singing? It's a talent. It's something, a skill that can be acquired. It's not a spiritual gift in the scriptures, is it? Why does he bring that up there then? Does everybody notice what he's doing? He's talking about the things that happen within the body of the church. They've got to be spiritual and they've got to be understandable. Doesn't matter if it's praying, doesn't matter if it's singing, anything that goes on in the assembly of the body, if it's going to build up the body, it's got to be from God and it's got to be understood. That's what he's getting at. That's what he's moving for. So we know from chapter 13, love is the way, right? This is the way. That's the way it is, love. But the goal is edification. Love is the way to get to the goal of edification. If it's not understood, it doesn't edify. It has to meet those criteria. Love is spiritual. Edification is the goal. Everybody with me? Okay, making sure. Some of you are asleep. Stop it. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit, now remember how he's talking about if you pray only in the Spirit, your mind's unfruitful. Notice he comes back to this idea of just the Spirit only. He says here, otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say, now we'll get to that in a second, the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying. Number one, this is a way we know it's in the local assembly because we're supposed to say amen. Now a lot of us thought that saying amen in the local assembly was just a Baptist thing. It's not. It's a Paul in the first century church thing. When something awesome is said, built up, we're encouraged in some way, we're consoled, whatever it is, so be it, yeah. Yes. Now, all of you know it's, there's nothing wrong with raising hands in church. You know, everybody got that? Okay. Cartwheels? We might put a rope around. No. But there's nothing wrong with us being participatory and built up and encouraged and uplifted in our worship together. That's what it should be. You guys recognize we don't live here, right? This is why we don't have to be freaked out about all this mess. Concerned? Yes. Prayerful? Yes. Applying scripture and knowing it? Yes. But we're out to lead a crusade to try to change the world, to better the world? No. No. We are here to introduce souls to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what we do. We don't live here. Get that. Otherwise, when you bless in the Spirit, can you bless by speaking in tongues? You can. What does that look like? Notice. How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen, agree with you, and say truly, that's valid, so be it, to your giving of thanks. Everybody see that blessing in the Spirit is giving thanks. You can exercise the gift of tongues and you can give thanks and that is a blessing. And by being understood, if it's understood by an interpreter, all the church can say amen, that's amazing. Okay, 
What does it mean, ungifted? There's been a lot of debate about this word. There's a lot of research I did into it to check it out. It's going to be brought up again later on in this chapter. But here's what it means. Somebody who doesn't have the gift of interpretation. That's what it means in this context. If the person with the gift that doesn't have a gift of interpretation still doesn't know what you're saying if you're speaking in tongues. Only those with the gift of interpretation know what you're saying and only they can communicate what you're saying to everybody else because nobody else has that gift. That's what it's getting at. So he moves on here, verse 17, for explanation. You're giving thanks well enough. Notice that Paul's not frowning on that. When you're speaking in tongues like that and you're giving that blessing, you're giving thanks. Nobody's doubting the giving of thanks because it's spiritually motivated. But the other person is not what? They're not built up. Nobody's doubting that you're giving praise to God. The problem is, is that it's not taking anybody anywhere closer to their Lord. You're leaving them behind while you're moving forward. Don't do that. We move forward as a body. Christianity is not a solo mission. God always operates in the context of the local church. That's what he founded in Acts 2. That's where he desires to work. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Notice he's not frowning on the gift of tongues. Paul does it more than anybody. Probably does it better than anybody, right? Probably been doing it for a long time. We'll answer in two weeks how Paul exercises the gift of tongues because the scripture tells us, okay? And get this, Paul doesn't do it in the local church. He doesn't do it in the assembly of the local church. It's something for you to chew on as you think through this chapter. But look what he says. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But look what he goes to. However, in the church, when we are assembled together as brothers and sisters in Christ, I desire to speak five words with my mind. Everybody remember earlier he talked about spirit mind. Spirit mind, I pray with my spirit, but my mind's unfruitful. Everybody remember that? Keep those things together. If he's going to pray, it's got to be spirit and mind. If we're going to sing, it's got to be spirit and mind. Notice, he would rather say five words with reasoning involved that's intelligible, that we could understand it. Look what he says. So that, here's the reason, I may instruct others also. Does everybody see how that's building one another up? It's discipleship. It's encouraging people. It's consoling people. Notice it says here, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. More than 10,000 in a tongue. Now maybe Grace Bible Church has a different problem than the abuse of a gift of tongues, okay? And that's fine. Paul is lining out what the problem was in the day. But let's see what's clear here. Anything that is done across the board within this body of Christ has got to be done for the building up of the church. If edification is not the goal, you have to give a good reason what is. Now here's why that's helpful. Because before I walk up here, it helps me to remember, Lord, everything that's going on here needs to be about building up. That doesn't mean that everything needs to be positive, shiny, happy people holding hands. It's not what it's all about, okay? But it's the idea that we need to know the truth. We need to be thinking heavenward. We need to have our minds set at the right hand of God where Christ is seated right now. That's our hope and glory. That's what we're about. So we've got to be instructed and positioned in that way. Also needs to be consolation for those who may be hurting either because of sickness or sin or both. But it also has to be encouraging. And the big encouragement that Paul wants to pull out of this is the local church is such an incredibly designed and orchestrated special work of God. Do you know Ephesians 2.10? Do you know that one? Right? For we are his what? 
Workmanship. Anybody know what that word means? We've talked about it before. It's the Greek word poema. We are his poem. The idea is we are his masterpiece. We are his carefully crafted and scribed by his own hand piece of artwork. That's the church. He's talking about the church. I know you're looking over at people across the way going, even that guy? Yes! <laughs> even that guy is part of the handiworked crafting of God. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, the only suitable location, for good works that we should walk in them. Edifying one another, encouraging one another, how we move it forward. Let me ask you the question. Have you edified somebody today? Have you encouraged somebody today? Do you know what your spiritual gift is and say, you know what, I can use that here. We're getting ready to do a thing where we flip this entire room and we set it up to celebrate graduates. We're going to have a meal together. I came with the spiritual gift of hunger. Of course you did. (laughs) But my question is, is did you come with the spiritual gift of helps? If that's the case, we need helps and we need helps. Setting up table and flipping these things. Maybe there's some new people that are going to be, oh, I'm going to duck out of here because I bring anything to potluck. Well, you need to have the spiritual gift of, anybody know? Anybody know? What's that? No, not hunger. (laughs) How about encouragement? To go alongside and say, and real quick, I don't have that gift, but I'm going to let you know. Folks, you don't have to leave. Stay here. Get to know us. We're not that scary. Okay? Get to know others in the body of Christ. And let's be built up and encourage them to stay and encourage them to be a part of this. There's nothing wrong with that. Every single believer in Christ has at least one spiritual gift. Are you using it for the edifying of the body? Or are people stepping back and even yourself kind of scratching your head and going, I just don't know how to figure this out. It's really not adding much here. Let's pray about that being a difference. Bow with me, please. Father God, the church is amazing. And it's not amazing for any other reason than the fact that it's your design, your purpose. The bride of Christ. The masterpiece that you've crafted with your own hand. Sometimes we take church for granted. Sometimes we go to church and we don't be the church. Sometimes we neglect church. Sometimes our pride causes us not to call upon the church. And the local church is the central hub of sustainable ministry that you have put forward in the Word of God. Lord, every single person in this room has a spiritual gift, and it needs to be used for edifying for building up, for encouraging, for consoling those that are hurting, to bear one another's burdens, to be forgiving in all aspects, to get attitude out of the way. Lord, you know I have that problem. To lay pride down, to it not be about a self-serving entity or we just show up like shoppers getting what we want and going home. This is the body of Christ. And we thank you that Jesus stood in our place, died, and set us free. Father, today, help us to answer the question in our own hearts and minds by the conviction of your Spirit. 
Am I edifying the body of Christ the way that you have designed me to do so? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.